You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, East Point Church. How are you guys? Good. Wow. Good. You know, I'm starting to feel a little bit like this is one-sided. I ask you every week, how you doing? Nobody, not once have they responded, how are you, Sam? You know? Feeling a little sensitive up here, you know? I'm not going to lie. I'm teasing. You guys are awesome, man. Go ahead and open up your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 6. We're continuing in our series called Greater. We're going through the book of Mark, and Mark as an author Mark, as a storyteller, he is writing these accounts to reveal the identity of this man who walked a couple thousands of years ago. And as he reveals this man's identity, as he slowly brings it into focus, week by week, we have seen that he is greater than sickness. He's greater than the dark forces that plague humanity. He is greater than, than our needs and our hunger. He's greater than the religious traditions that trap people. He is greater. And so today we're going to continue. Today we're going to have his identity come even a little bit more into focus. And we're going to see just how great he is. The title of my message this morning is Deja Vu. The title of my message this morning is Deja Vu. How many of you suffer from deja vu, right? Deja vu, it is the eerie, familiar feeling that we've been here before. It is the eerie, familiar feeling that I have said this before, right? And you go, wait a minute, deja vu. And they go, blah, 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 blah. And you go, oh, that's exactly what happened next. And so I, I suffer from, a, from an acute case of deja vu. And so I've actually researched, like, what is going on? Like, this is bizarre. And so I've come across some very interesting theories. Theory number one, you're having deja vu because you've dreamt of this moment. Anybody have heard that one, right? Like, ooh, this was like a dream. And so in my dream, this happened. And so this is your brain saying, hey, you've experienced this, but at night in your sleep. So number one, it could be a dream. Number two, a little bit more spiritual, this is confirmation that you're exactly where you're meant to be in this moment. Have you heard that one? Deja vu, woo, I'm where I'm supposed to be. All right, maybe you don't like that one. Theory number three for my scientists in the room, right? Your brain has accidentally fired that neuron, and instead of storing this moment in your short-term memory, it's accidentally stored it in your long-term memory, giving you the sensation of, whoa, I feel like I remember this from a long time ago. Have you heard of that one before? You have, right? You're like, you made that up. No, I didn't, right? That's, I was like, whoa, that makes so much sense, right? Theory number four, it literally did happen, and you just forgot, right? Dude, that's me right now. I'm at a situation where I have three little boys at home, and I'm convinced, I'm convinced that they're gaslighting me. Oh, don't laugh, man. This is evil, all right? My children, they have me right where they want me. And I used to say, oh, deja vu. And they're like, no, dad, you already said that. And I'm like, I know what I said and didn't say. Did I say that, though? I have no idea. Oh, my gosh, what if I said this? You know, I'm like, they're making me lose my mind. I'm forgetful. <laughs> deja vu. Haven't we been here before? Friends, this morning, we're going to experience some deja vu. In this passage, we're going to find ourselves in an, eerie, an eerily familiar situation a couple of times. 
And we're here. We're, we're experiencing this not because you dreamt it. We're experiencing this not because your synapses have fired and misfired. We're experiencing this not because your children have made you lose your minds. We are experiencing deja vu this morning because Jesus, like a master teacher, is repeating a lesson. Jesus, like a master trainer, like a master educator, is putting another coat of paint on the lessons that he wants his followers to know. And so if you're here this morning and you need some encouragement, if you're here this morning and life is a little bit rough right now, if you're here this morning and fear, you can feel the cold breath of fear on your neck. Anxiety is having a field day with you. The storms are raging out of control in your life. If that is you, then this lesson is for you. This lesson is for you. Jesus wants to show you something that is going to radically change your situation. Or has he already shown us? Wait a minute, I can't remember now. Have we been here before? (laughs) Deja vu, friends. Here we go. Let me read the entire passage. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 45, and then we'll go back and break it down. This is God's word for East Point Church this morning. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out in the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea... They thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This is God's word for East Point Church this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your word. Lord, change us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we go back to the beginning here. Look how it starts off. Last week, we saw Jesus with compassion for the crowds. And he fed how many people? 5,000 men plus all their women and children, right? And so he's feeding thousands of people, and now on the very next moment we see immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Jesus is practicing what he preaches, huh? He dismisses the class. He goes, all right, interns, session done. I want you to get in the boat. Go ahead of me, cross the lake. 
And then he hangs back, right, just for one more moment. You can see the compassion still lingering in his heart. And he just, and he's saying goodbye tenderly. Hey, let's dismiss the crowd. He doesn't say, all right, class done, peace. He's with them. He's lingering in the lobby saying goodbye to his sheep. And once they're all gone, notice, he doesn't immediately go and catch up with the disciples. Where does he go? What does he do after a long day, after a long rhythm of ministry? Retreat. Advance. Decompress. Right, friends? We know he went up on the mountain to pray. Why? Deja vu. Why? Because the demands of kingdom work require rhythms of rest. And so Jesus, he is going to go and decompress in the presence of his father. There's vegging out, right? There's, I'm just, I don't want to think about anything. I want to just veg out and watch YouTube, whatever it is. He's not vegging out. He's going to go and spend some one-on-one time in the presence of his father. And so followers of Jesus, those of us who said, I want to follow the leader, the leader, the leader, we're following the leader wherever he may go. As we follow him, notice how he handles prayer. It's not just something he says before his meal. It's not, a, it's not a rote script that he recites at before he falls asleep. No, Jesus is setting aside specific time for the express purpose of getting alone with the Father. He is setting aside a portion of his day to focus on and talk with and process out loud with his Father in heaven. He spends time mindful of him, talking with him, just being with God. And so, friends, those of you who know me, you know I love hanging out with others to talk about God. You want to come over and talk about God? All day, every day. Come on now. We should get with others to talk about God. But Jesus shows us that we should also retreat from others to talk to God. See? One-on-one, personal time with the Father. If Jesus did this, if Jesus, the Son of God, needed this, so do we. Followers of Jesus, have you created a habit in your life, right? Have you gotten to that place in life where you are setting aside time specifically to just be with the Father? I remember, I remember where I was in college when I heard a sermon similar to this, and it was like the light bulb went off, and the Lord taught me, you're not good at being alone. I hated the silence. I hated being one-on-one with the Father. I hated going into my room and closing the door and praying. I'd much rather talk with others about God. And the Lord is teaching us, I want you to come and talk with God. And so there's this simple tool that I came across that maybe just, you might find this helpful. But when I get alone in my room with the Father and I'm feeling my mind anxious and I feel all the things that I need to be doing, I pray through a very simple pattern. It's called Acts. All right, and so here's what I do. I love this because prayer is like a muscle. And so you can pray for 15 minutes. You can pray for 30 minutes. You can pray for three hours. There are people who go and spend all day in prayer. And I'm like, I'm not there yet, you know. My muscles are little. I have little prayer muscles. But look how I pray. I start with A. A stands for adoration. I just spend time looking at God looking at his attributes and adoring him out loud, expressing and rehearsing, God, you're really good. Psalm 46, God, you're a protector. And so we adore, right? We spend time rehearsing just how good and how big he is. And so that's the first portion of prayer. 
Then I go to the C, right? Stands for confession. I sin. We all sin. We all fall short. But the Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from our sin. And so I spend time, Lord, I don't have to hide from you. I'm just telling you where I'm at. And so I spend time confessing asking him for forgiveness, not just asking for forgiveness, but asking him to change me. Here's who I am. Change me. And then I spend time with T, thanksgiving, thanksgiving, rehearsing all of the things that he has done for me, all of the blessings, right? Count your blessings. Lord, I am thankful. And then I always end with my prayer list, supplication. Lord, I need this. And I'll tell you what, friends, after Thanksgiving, my faith is so boosted. I realize, look how much God has already done for me. I'm going to come in faith and say, Lord, I'm going to be bold. I need this. I'm praying for myself, for my family, for my children, for my community, right, for my leaders. And so prayer, right, we pray through acts. Just a simple tool. If it helps you pray, awesome. You can pray each section for 30 seconds. You can pray each section for 30 minutes, whatever it is. But we see Jesus is away and he's praying, setting for us an example. And so Jesus prays, where are the disciples at? Where are our fellow disciples? So we keep reading the story and we see that they are in trouble. Here we go, look what it says. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. The disciples are in trouble. They're out on a boat, crossing the lake in the middle of a storm that threatens to destroy them. Deja vu? And have we been here before? No, no, no. Okay, we haven't. Sorry, this is me. My children are wreaking havoc on my mind. So anyway, new situation. We've never been here before. They're making headway painfully. They're going out on a boat, right? I love what Mark says. He, said, he doesn't say it's windy, right? It's very windy. He says, it's as if the wind itself was against them, right? They are slowly laboring across the sea. What might have just taken a few hours, it is taking them all night, all night on the water. As if the wind itself is opposing them, threatening to destroy them. This is a struggle. This is not a little bit of turbulence. Remember, these guys were professional fishermen. They probably spent more time on their boat than in land. They do this. This is their thing. And yet, even for them, it was tough. Even for them, it was dangerous. And then, on top of the physical danger, we add this spiritual dagger as we realize, why are they even out there in the first place? Do you remember our last verse? Why are they out there? Because he made them get into the boat. They're in this mess. They are in the middle of this storm. They're in this difficult situation. Not because they disobeyed Jesus, but because they did obey him. He put them there. Their Savior sent them into this storm, and it blows our minds as we realize following Jesus can lead us into the storm. Following Jesus can lead us into the storm. And for those of you who are like, I feel like this is familiar. You're right. This is deja vu. This has happened before. This is not their first time. Remember, they were on the boat. Just flip back, right? Just look at the highlight reel. Oh, yeah, one page earlier. They were on a boat in a storm. 
They've been here before, but notice the key difference this time. Yes, they've been on a boat. Yes, it was in a storm. Yes, the wind and the waves were powerful, but notice the key difference. Where is Jesus? Isn't he sleeping in the... Oh, he's not taking a nap. He's not just tucked away, cool and calm. They're in the same situation, but there's a key difference here. Jesus is not with them. Jesus is alone on the land. So Jesus on the land, disciples in the boat, not together. As a matter of fact, it says that he can see the boat from where he's at on his prayer hill. He can see down into the valley and the water and go, man, they're struggling. They've been here before, but this time Jesus is not with them. He sent them back into the danger. He has sent them back into the storm. They are repeating a class, but the instructor who's training them is not there. Why? Why is he putting them in the same storm without him? Because he's training them. Jesus is preparing them to handle adversity, to handle the struggle, to handle the danger that will inevitably meet them when they get sent out on the mission. He's preparing them. How will you handle difficult situations when I'm gone and no longer with you physically? Jesus, he's effectively calling for a fire drill here. Jesus just pulled the alarm. Okay, remember your training. What are you going to do when you're in the storm? Come on, we've had this lesson. What are you going to do when you're in a dangerous situation? Come on, think back. I've taught you this one. What will you do when life itself threatens to destroy you? When life itself threatens to cause anxiety and fear and turmoil? What will you do? Remember your training. What have you learned? And the disciples are a bunch of like third graders and they don't know what to do with the fire alarm. And it's just, it's happening. And they're going crazy, you know. Will they remember the lesson that they learned the last time they were in the boat? Will they be able to apply the lesson of the loaves that they just learned a few moments ago? Have they mastered the lesson of the bleeding woman where Jesus said, do not fear, just believe? Will they be able in the midst of the storm to comfort themselves and remind themselves of the powerful truth that even in a storm, he sees them? That even in the storm, he is always watching over, ever mindful of them. Friends, what will you do as followers of Jesus when you experience adversity, when you experience the storms of life and you know this is not a drill? This storm is for real. What will you do in those days? What will you do when you're in the storm? Not because you failed to obey Jesus, but because you did. That's real. The turmoil is real. The wind and the waves and the storm is real. But how will you handle it? How does Jesus want us to handle what is the appropriate response for those who follow Jesus and find themselves in the storm what's the key to weathering the storm well as we continue the story Jesus shows us and about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea he meant to pass by them but when they saw him walking on the sea they thought it was a ghost and cried out For they all saw him and were terrified. 
But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. It's the middle of the night. The fourth watch. This is from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. He comes at the last possible moment of the nighttime, just before the dawn. They're still awake. Presumably they are fighting for their lives out there. And so Jesus says, I'm going to go to them. Fire drill is complete. Now let's come see how you did. And so he goes to them. How does he get there? Well, Jesus must have been like a world-class swimmer. You know, he's out there on the water. No, he didn't breaststroke to them. Well, he must have had a boat, right? He had a boat for sure, a bigger boat. And he was like a master sailor because he was a carpenter, so his arms were ripped. You know what I'm saying? And so he probably just, no. You sure? Now, how did he get out there? Walked on the sea. No, 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 hold on. Um, he came to, he walking on the sea. He walked on the water as if it was dry ground. He, he, he's navigating and he just, and I can just imagine Siri's like losing her mind, like rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. It's like, I, go around, like what Siri's like, I give up. I don't even know what you're doing, but Jesus is just out there. And, and remember, it's not like crystal clear glass. Like this is a storm and Jesus is just like hurtling waves. You know what I mean? Just, step, excuse me. He's just like stepping over. What? Who does this? What? Have we ever seen this before? Like, what has happened? Have we ever seen this? Who walks on water? We have. We actually have. Back in Job, when they are trying to make sense of their pain and situation, they start to remind themselves of who God is. And so they say of God, he is the one who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. When I go to the beach, I don't know why I like this, but I just like being in the water. I like being pummeled and trampled by the waves. Anybody else? Come on, right? Don't, be, you don't embarrass me. You get out there in the water and you're just like, right? And you get up and you're like, again, right? And you're just like, why are we doing that, right? There's just something, you're just like, dude, this is bigger than me. And it's just fun, right? Well, the same waves that trample you, this is a picture where God is out there, he's unfazed, and he's just like walking over waves. He's trampling the waters, right? Again, later, God speaks up this time, and he speaks up when Job is like, where were you? Where were you? How come you let this happen? Why did you let this storm? And he goes, excuse me, excuse me, Job, I have a question. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare it if you know all this. I'll wait. Job, have you walked on the waters? Wow. And so we see here, who does this? God walks on the waters, but we, Jesus walks, wait. Who walks on the waters? Does that mean that this is, could this mean that Jesus, the identity of, exactly, exactly. What we are seeing here, friends, is the most revealing walk in all of human history. 
What we are seeing here is the most recognizable gait and stride of anybody that you've ever seen. And in this storm where their visibility is at its lowest, we see that spiritually God is revealing something powerful. Jesus' identity becomes clear in the storm. This is God walking out here on the waters. God is out here trampling over the waves, treading on water as if it's dry ground. And he walks. And what is God doing out here on the waters? What is he doing on this stroll along the sea? Look what it says. He meant to pass by them. When I first read this, you know what I picture? Um, I picture myself 6 a.m., my boys are asleep, and I don't know why, we should just think about this, but the master bedroom is on the far, far side of the house, away from the stairs, and my boys, their room is right at the top of the stairs. You know what I'm talking about, right? So it's 6 a.m., and I'm like, oh, they're still sleeping. So I put on my extra cozy slippers that, like, you know, I'm not making any creaks, I don't want any noises, and I walk down the hallway, and I intend to pass by them, so that way they don't know that I'm there, and I come, and man, that first step, top of the steps. I need to get it checked out. If you're a stair master, stair repairer, call me. But it's like, I, I, I even try to step over, and then the second step is like, Arr! and then my boy's, daddy? And I'm like, no daddy, right? I don't know. Like, I just, you don't know English. I'm like, I don't know. You know, and I just, and I tried to pass by them, but they caught me. And I realized when I was reading this this week, that's how I was picturing Jesus. He meant to pass by them. Oh, they saw me. And I was like, wait a minute. You mean to tell me the guy who walks on waters can't go unnoticed if he didn't want to? Pass by them, not to mean go unnoticed. When it says that he meant to pass by them, I think he meant to pass in front of them. Just as God came and passed by Moses, revealing his glory. Anybody remember Exodus chapter 33? Moses said, please show me your glory. I want to see you. I want to know what you're like. Reveal yourself to me. And God says, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Pass by, not meaning go unnoticed. Pass by meaning a parade of his glory. Just as Yahweh passed by Moses to reveal his nature, so Jesus walks out to pass by them and reveal his glory, to reveal his identity. He passes in front of them to reveal his nature. He's passing in front of the boat in the middle of the storm as if to declare, I'm the one who treads where you fear. I walk unfazed in the very spaces from which you run in fear. Jesus is saying, I am not shaken. I am not afraid of. I am not susceptible to the very dangers that paralyze you in fear and cripple you with anxiety. He's greater than the storm. He tramples on the waves. His care is greater than the threats. He walks on stormy waters because he's the one who spoke them into existence. And here's the point, friends. If you're with him, what do you have to fear? If you belong to that man, God in the flesh, what is there to fear? The one who tramples on the waters, 
knows your name. The one who tramples the waters and walks on the, on the, as if it's dry ground, he holds you in his hand. And Jesus knows that if they can get this lesson, if you and I can get this lesson of his identity and what that means for us, this would change everything. If the disciples can understand who it is that they are actually following, then they can go anywhere that he sends them, regardless of the storm, regardless of the stakes, regardless of the threats, because they know that he's the one who holds them. But they don't get it yet. I would like to imagine them being like Moses, right? As he passes by and they're like, forget the storms, who cares? We're following God, right? Like you'd like to imagine that they're like like Moses in awe and inspired and just hands raised. I see now. Nope. And actually I'm glad because that makes it more real, doesn't it? It gives me more grace for myself to go, okay, I may not get it the first or 20th time either. And so they don't respond like Moses. Instead, they cry in fear and terror. (laughs) Not like Moses, but like a middle school girl. Screaming. Like these grown men, they've probably seen some rough things. You know what I mean? Like I just imagine Peter's arms are solid, right? And this dude loses it. It says terror, deep terror. They are screaming. They're so irrational. They go, this must be a ghost. Why don't they get it? Mark tells us. Why do they not understand what Jesus is trying to teach them? Why do they not recognize and glean comfort from the identity of Jesus? Because their hearts were still hard about the loaves. What? What did the loaves have to do with anything? Remember last week, friends? Deja vu. Remember last week? They were so put off, right? They were so frustrated with their, need, with, with their day off getting hijacked by the crowds that they had a bad attitude. Their hearts were hardened. They were, they were getting snarky with Jesus, remember? And they're like, oh, you want us to go now? And Jesus is like, yes. And their hearts are still so hard. Their attitudes are still so sour that they did not realize the lesson of the loaves. What was the lesson of the loaves? That the heart of the shepherd cares for his sheep. They just saw how Jesus had compassion on thousands of needy people. But because of their bad attitudes, because of their hard hearts, they failed to realize that the same shepherd who feeds the sheep on the shore cares for the sheep in the storm. Their hearts are not soft enough to apply the lesson that the same shepherd who responded to those sheep with compassion watches over these sheep with care. The one who revealed himself as provider also reveals himself as protector, but they don't get it. They're terrified. So Jesus speaks. The only speaking lines he has, he says, take heart. It's I. Don't be afraid. Take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. This is not a ghost come to haunt you. This is your savior come to teach you. I'm coming with a timely lesson in the middle of your adversity. I'm coming with a lesson that will give perspective to this storm. Not only am I your provider, I am also your protector. I am the one who will deliver you from physical and spiritual danger. And just to prove it, 
just to punctuate his lesson here, he climbs into the boat and immediately, right, he's been hurdling waves. Now he hurdles the side of the boat and he steps in and immediately the wind ceased. <whistles> crash, 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 crash. And they're astounded. They're astounded. And Jesus is like, like I was saying, protective shepherd. Friends, he who holds you is greater than the storms that harass you. He who knows your name tramples the waters and navigates the storm. Where's the storm raging in your life right now? Has this path, has this journey led you into some scary situations? If so, friends, this is the key to weathering the storm. This is the key to navigating and keeping your peace and not fearing and not letting anxiety destroy you. This is the key. Remembering that the one who is mindful of you, the one who is with you, the one who is watching over you is greater than those storms. Follower of Jesus, be encouraged. Take heart. It is him. Don't be afraid. He's the one who's out there walking in the, on the waters in the midst of the storm. And you are his. You are known by the creator God. And if you're with him, if you're in the hand of the protective shepherd, we can say, like the psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not fear. I shall not want. I won't lack for anything. He who holds you is greater than the storms that harass you. And he wants you to know this. And you know who else he wants to know this? He wants them to know this. He wants the people in your lives that he has put you in the midst of. He wants them to learn the lessons out there that you're learning in here. And so that's why we see our last section. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Friends, lessons learned in the storm are shared on the shore. The shore. I literally just realized that. I wish I did that on purpose. Man! Wow! Lessons learned in the storm are shared on the shore. They get out of the boat. They moor the boat, they walk up the hill, and thousands of people recognize them and start running. And the disciples are like, I know that storm was crazy, but like, did we not just experience this? Did we not just experience tons of people running to where we were? Did we not just come from the other side? Deja vu, man. I, on the other side, we, remember we learned that Jesus, he didn't just have a demographic appeal. He wasn't just agreeing, uh, 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 appealing to one ethnicity or one culture or one demographic. There's this universal, this geographic influence. It doesn't matter if they're from the villages, the suburbs. 
They're from the cities, the urban areas, the countryside, whatever, rural, whatever it is. Jesus is drawing a crowd, and they're flocking. And as the disciples walk up the hill, they're like, is this familiar? And I just imagine Jesus leading the charge, and he, and he looks back, and he goes, it's not deja vu. I call it take two. <laughs> it's not deja vu. I'm going to give you a second chance. How do you think we should respond? He pulls the fire alarm one more time. This is a drill. What will you do when the crowds come and run to you? Anybody else grateful for a second chance? Anybody else grateful that the Lord doesn't give up on us when our, when our, hearts, when our heads are a little bit thick and our hearts are a little bit hard? So who's coming? Who's running? It's those who are sick. It's those who are beleaguered by life. It's those who are troubled. It's those who are worried. Jesus is not attracting the people who have it together and just want a good TED talk. These are the people who know this world has nothing left to offer me and my only chance for hope is Jesus. And so they come and just at his touch, just by being in his presence, they were made well, it says. They were made well. He's not just an influencer. He's not just an inspirational speaker. He's not a thought leader. He's not a philosopher. He didn't come just to give them food for thought to warm their souls. Friends, this man, his presence literally heals the sick. Touching him, coming in contact with him literally changes their lives. It restores what was broken. It gives them hope. It restores their dignity. It sets them back on their feet. It sets them on the trajectory of experiencing what it meant to be from the beginning to be human with God and for God. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. And the masses on the shore are learning what the disciples have just learned in the storm. And as he starts to move through the crowd, it's as if he's saying to the disciples, you just learned a lesson about me, right? You just learned my identity? Well, I taught you that for yourself, but I also taught you that for them. And so go and reveal to them that he who holds you is greater than the storms that harass you. Friends, you're learning this lesson in the storm, but go and share it with those on the shore, those who are beleaguered by life, those who are sick, those who need hope, those who think they can never come near to Jesus because of their past. Go and tell them that he's greater than those things. He's greater. And so if you're here this morning, and there's a storm. If you're here this morning and you know what it's like to be beaten by the wind and the waves of life. Maybe you just ended a storm. Maybe you're about to begin a storm. Maybe you see the dark cloud on the horizon coming your way. Jesus says to you, come to me, for I'm greater than the storm. He says it here in Matthew 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Is your life built on the rock? Are you going to survive the storm? Are you going to navigate the wind and the waves? Not because you have it in you, not because of your discipline and determination and grit. No, because you know that he who holds you 
is greater than the storms that harass you. Come to him. Cry out to him. Take heart. It's him. Do not fear. Do not fear. Father, thank you for revealing to us yourself. Lord, thank you for walking on the waters all those years ago, revealing that you are the one who spoke the waters into existence. So Lord, would you comfort our hearts? Would you still our anxious minds? Would you deliver us from the fear that taunts us? Not as we deny the storm, not as we just pretend like it doesn't exist, but as we set our perspective on you and realize that you are greater. You're greater. So help us to take heart. Comfort us this morning. Deepen our faith and trust in you, Lord. And I pray for the shore. That because of our life, because of our influence, because of who we are, because of our faith in you, that the world around us would see you. Because of the way that we navigate the storms in faith, may they see the one who walks on the waters in the midst of the storm. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.